and welcome to the Traceability Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Edwards, and today our guest is Thea Raisins. Thea is a certified Scrum product owner. She spent several years serving in uh, the IIBA Kansas City chapter in various roles, uh, and she's also contributed to the BA Block version 3 and has taught business analysis, project management, agile, and a host of other topics at um, local universities in the Kansas City area, as well as national companies and um, overseas. So welcome, Thea. We are so happy to have you here, and thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with us. Thank you, Tracy. I'm delighted to be here. Well, so I wanted to start out just by asking sort of how you got to be a BA. As I talk to most people, it isn't necessarily on their radar. So how did that sort of work out for you? I tell people I've been a business analyst all my life. My father was a master electrician and a farmer, and my mother could take apart anything from a sewing machine to a tractor and then figure out how to put it back together. I grew up trying to figure out why things were the way they were. Why did we do it the way we did it? Why was it designed that way? Why was it shaped that way? One of my favorite memories is going to thrift stores as a child and buying machines that I didn't know what they were and taking it home and figuring it out. A cotton candy maker was one of my most positive reinforcements of that process. I thought I had invented the name business analysis. And I was thrilled whenever I found out there was actually an international organization of business analysis. I, I just felt so incredibly validated and then instantly intimidated because these people were professionals and I was just doing it on my own. But I've been a business analyst in every project and every job I've ever had. If I was an executive secretary, I was making things better. If I was uh, a project manager, I was trying to figure out how to map out the process so everyone would be on the same page. And so coming into the role of business analyst was normal for me. It was just a natural fit. Um, I'm a natural connector. And so I network and connect ideas and, and I'm also naturally overly enthusiastic to the irritation of some. And so I, I share my excitement with new things we can do and, and how to improve things and how to improve employee engagement. And so all of this is just wrapped up into me doing mentoring and training and teaching and making people's lives better. And that's been my entire focus. And that really is the focus of, of business analysis, you know, when we get right down to it, right, is, is we're trying to sort of make sense of, of our world that, that we're inhabiting in our careers and, and that kind of thing. Sometimes, uh, yeah, to our detriment, uh, not everybody is as curious and as question askers as, as we can be. That's true. I was actually told, you always want to know why. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I want to know why. Why do we do it this way? Because sometimes I have to ask that question. I call it my Columbo approach. Tell me why. Help me understand this. Because there may be something that they understand that I'm totally oblivious to. And they are the SMEs of their project and their process. So I have to understand why or I have to ask enough questions where I feel comfortable that there isn't something hidden from me. And I never claim to be the 
ultimate SME on anything because that's their job, but it's my job to understand it as well as I possibly can in the time limit I have. Right, which is something that is often, I think, a challenge for those subject matter experts to kind of do. They get so sort of wrapped in their process and and the way they have of doing things and uh, sort of get to the point where they don't need to ask the whys that uh, we then sort of come along behind and try to help them sort of think that way. But uh, sort of going back to how did you even think to call this business analysis? So were you starting out as an executive assistant or or um, sort of what was your first stop? I homeschooled my kids for several years. And whenever I decided it was time to get back into the workforce, I realized that technology had passed me by. Uh, we had gone from dial-up to not dial-up. And it was there was so much that had changed in technology. So I decided I'd become a contractor. And I became a contractor in a lot of different industries for three to six months. And I would get in and I would learn it. And I realized that the skills that I was developing and the analysis that I love to do could be applied to any kind of business. It didn't really matter what the business was. It was it was people and processes and goals. And so I just decided I was doing analysis of business. So I'm a business analyst. And many people kind of go, oh, yeah. So you look at it and go, yep, that's a business and you're done. Well, no, that's not quite the way I work. Um, and my daughter had to, at, while she was a teenager, she had to say, mom, you can't introduce yourself as a BA. I didn't know there was a different term uh, uh, for that acronym. Uh, I just thought everybody understood what a BA was. So I do introduce myself as a business analyst and then that even if they nod like they know what I'm talking about, I go ahead and say, as you know, a business analyst is someone who goes in and helps the business figure out what their root problems are and helps them figure out what to do to solve it. And then they get it done to make everyone's life better. That is business analysis in a nutshell. That's a really succinct way of pulling it all together, which is, I think, as as we try and figure out sort of what value we provide as business analysts, um, Sometimes it is a bit difficult for us to sort of pull that all together really succinctly like that. So, yeah, I I really like that. I'm going to use that. Please do. So you spent several years contracting. So this was, was say, the early 2000s or? Mm -hmm. Okay. I was able to go into the first company that actually hired me as a contracting business analyst and my job was to document their processes from beginning to end for the customer path. And it happened to be a local utility company. And so I was I walked into the director's office who was uh, hosting the project. And she said, this is what they've given me. And it was a couple of pieces of paper of we build the client or we provide service to the client. It's like, this isn't the process. This is not what you want. And I came to find out later that I was actually doing the master's thesis for this particular person, but that's okay. I got it done from everywhere from we need you to bring a new line out to this property or we need, we're moving into this apartment. We need electricity through billing issues, through theft of electricity, through cutoff, through uh, changeovers, and then through the end of, okay, I'm moving out of the area or the houses burned down or whatever else. So 
after I got all of that mapped out through all the different departments, I was able to lay it out in front of the people who did not do the job, the the middle to higher executives, and show them where they were duplicating effort. They had bottlenecks. And in this case, we could proactively alleviate a couple of regulatory and legal issues that would bite them later if they didn't take care of it. But you see, without having it mapped out, the folks that could that understood the regulatory and legal, they didn't know it was happening. The folks that had the the duplicated efforts, they couldn't see in each other's silos, so they didn't know it was happening. And so it allowed them to not only streamline their processes and resolve issues, but laying it out in in a document that was pictures, it basically was a giant flowchart allowed them to easily understand it. And that showed me the power of putting things in pictures. And so I'm a big proponent of using swim lanes and using process maps to show the handoffs between the different groups. Because what happens is if you put it on the wall and you're able to walk people through it, they see where their piece of the process happens and where they fit into the overall process. And very often, as you know, whenever you're doing this for a group, you don't get all of everything correct the first time. And so putting it on the wall allows you to, allows them to say this comes before that, or you missed this, or you forgot this entire group and you get it on the wall and people are easily able to say, Hey, new person, this is what we do. This is where you fall. This is, this is our interactions. This is why we have to do it this way. And then whenever they want to change processes, it's right there, easy to change. Having that transparency creates accountability. Because if I know that everyone around me knows what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm more accountable to get it done. I also appreciate using things like racing charts to identify who's responsible for what, when it's going to happen and how it's going to be delivered because that way everybody there knows that I agreed that this is what I was going to take on. And it just makes life a lot easier whenever people have their objects transparent like that. You're doing this, you're consulting, you're making life easier for people in all these different industries. You start, you started in uh, electric utilities and then from there, Then I went into tax preparation software, and then I went into uh, website development for Hallmark. I went into systems development, software development for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kansas. Then I went to Quest Diagnostics and worked with their internal laboratory systems, which are, as you know, highly regulated. And now I am at VML YNR which is an international marketing agency. And I am getting to do the most exciting things I've ever done. I'm stunned at the number of domains that you've actually been in (laughs) over these last several years. Can you maybe talk about sort of some of the lessons learned as you've gotten sort of back and forth between different domains, maybe some of the the best practices that... um, because personally, my first time switching domains um, was not necessarily successful. Well, I, I can understand that. Let me tell you about a unsuccessful job that I had. I was sent to Chicago to help a, a electric company 
uh, consolidate three call centers into a single call center. And I had a, I had one of those nightmare type of uh, positions where I was hired by one company, sold to another company, and working for their third company. So the people that I reported to were not the people I worked with. And I had everything ready to lay out and uh, do a a requirements workshop, which is, as you know, you have 80% of the requirements. You need to walk through it from beginning to end with the SMEs to be sure that you have it all because it's so you, you're working through multiple silos and you need to be sure you're covering everything, that you don't have any gaps between them. The person I was working with, the person I was reporting to at work, uh, I told her I was having a requirements workshop on the following Monday. I was going to go home for the first time in a month, and I would be back on Monday to to run the workshop. She did not realize that a requirements workshop meant that I had only 80% of the requirements. I'd been very transparent about that, but she assumed a requirements workshop meant I had 100% and I was going to embarrass her. But because I wasn't mature enough in my understanding of other people's lack of understanding, I didn't say, as you know, that means that I only have 80% of the requirements and we're going to go through them and fine tune them and get the other 20% so that we can move forward on the project. Well, before I got to the airport, I was getting a call from the people that hired me that said they don't want you to come back on Monday. I had done the entire job. I had done all of the work, but because I wasn't clear and fully explaining the process, one person, a decision maker made a decision that kind of blew the, the entire project out of the water because she didn't want to be embarrassed. That for me was a lesson learned. It was a very hard lesson learned. Um, I, I kind of try to, overdue on doing a good job and there's no way to go back for things like that because I wasn't allowed to contact the person who's making the decisions. But in other areas, here are some successes. Uh, in moving from one company to another, I realized that every company has their own acronyms. They have their own terms. In one company, I discovered after about an hour of trying to figure out why these people in this room couldn't agree on a, on a process to manage warranties, these three different groups, they all managed warranties and they were doing it different ways. I finally stopped and said, wait a second, when you say warranty, what do you mean? And I went over to the board and I started writing down their answer. Somebody else tried to interrupt them and say, that's not right. I said, wait a minute, let them answer. I found out each of the three different organizations in that company were using the word warranty in very different ways. We weren't talking about the same product at all. We weren't talking about the same service at all. And so basically I had to call the meeting and say, we cannot consolidate this process because we're not talking about the same process or the same service. Um, that was an eye opener to me because of course they're all talking about warranty. They're all from the same company, but they're in different departments. So I had to realize that whenever I talk to this person in this group, I have to use this word. But whenever I've talked to this person in this other group about the same thing, but it's their piece of the process, they need a totally different word. So it's not just glossaries for companies. It's glossaries for 
groups and departments. And once again, creating processes and putting it on paper and making it where everybody can see the same thing has helped tremendously for people to get a common understanding and uh, helped me tremendously in getting people all on the same page with the same understanding. And it may be that they look at that and they go, wait a minute, this group wants it this way. This other group wants it this other way. But until we actually get to that point and we get it transparent on the wall, we don't have a conversation that we can have until then. It's just this ambiguous um, controversy. We don't have specific things to talk about. We just have, they don't like them. They won't talk to them or whatever. So figuring it out and making it something we can all talk about and see the same thing has helped in in ways that I can even explain. Uh, People often come to me and say, I can't believe you were able to make that thing, that complex thing so simple. But whenever you turn it into a linear process flow, there can only be one version of the truth. So you document it. Have you found that helpful? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was on a coaching call today and I think, um, you know, really communication is just about the hardest thing there is for humans to do. As business analysts, it's about being skilled enough in the communication so that you could do what you did so that you could say, hey, I think um, we've got some disconnect here and, and let's make sure we all are using the same terminology. And and uh, I ran into one of, at uh, my organization today. They were talking about a fraud team. Well, there are three fraud teams and they report up to different organizations. You just have to be really, really specific or you have to you know, just make sure which stakeholders it is that you're engaging with are the are the right ones. And it, it sounds like uh, that's that's been a big part of your skill set and uh, a, a big part of how you've uh, become successful consulting across industries. Well, let me talk about uh, talking to stakeholders. I was surprised at the very beginning of my career that I had to go to my boss and say, I'm going to talk to these people that report up to Vice President John. And what do I need to do to get to talk to them? Because I naively believed I could just walk over and, and take somebody's time. You know, I'm, I'm there to help them. Why wouldn't they talk to me? But, but the supervisor comes over and they say, why are you taking this person's time? or the manager feels threatened because they don't know why you're talking to their people, or the director wants to know how you're going to impact their workflow. So you have to figure out politically and, and for um, the character, how the characteristics communicate, you have to figure all that out before you can even approach the individuals that are boots on the ground that know what the real processes are for communication Things like that are sometimes important in some companies. In other companies, for instance, where I am now, I can go talk to anybody about anything. And as long as it adds value, there's no problem. Let me tell you one of the exciting things about where I am now. I've been a business analyst long enough where I've developed a few skills. And the company I'm with now allows me to take on any project that I feel passionate about as long as I have bandwidth. 
And so one of the things that I've been able to do is say, our processes could be better. So let me document our current processes so we can all look at it and tell me, for instance, analytics would like to be included a little earlier in the process. So after I got it documented, I said, this is where we, this is our uh, initial part of the process, our discovery, our investigation, before we get to prioritization and development. Where in this do you want to start being included? And they were able to tell me very specific meetings or steps that they wanted to be involved in, not necessarily every single time, but they wanted to know what the change was so they could say, we'd like to lean into that, or we might want to attend that, or that has nothing to do with us. And, but creating this and putting it on the wall helps everyone have the same expectations. Another way that I've been able to help is communication. This project has grown, let's see, a year ago they had eight people and now they have 80 people. And so each group has has created their own processes and their own prioritization methods and use their own communication tools. And now we are at a point where we're not quite so sure what the other groups are doing in the project, although we are all in one big project. So we're working on figuring out how we can improve our communication on a regular basis to answer the questions. I'm starting a lean coffee so that we can answer questions for folks. I'm working on some of the new uh, employee onboarding to our project to let them know what the project's about, who has what roles. I have a, a relationship map that I'm creating to allow the folks on both sides, not only our client side, but our side, know who is it that's handling this particular thing and who do they talk to at the client side so that so that we don't have multiple people trying to talk to the client about the same thing or vice versa. These are all labor intensive and they have to be maintained. You know, you can't put a document out there and then just let it languish. It's got to be, it's got to continue to be farmed. And, um, but I think that it will be beneficial to the organization and the project. And it certainly is what the client wants. Uh, I was just sent down to Austin to take care of some client issues. And it was, I honestly feel like we had some great victories. Um, not that I was fighting anybody, but it's like we we won together. That's fantastic. It's quite exciting. It's fantastic when you feel like you've got a sort of unity on a project. Yes. I'm reading a book called Getting to Yes. It's a classic book, and I don't know that I've ever read it before, but I have it on Audible. And one of the things it talked about was presenting it as you and the person you're working with are both judges and you have to come to a unified decision about how to move the project forward. And I love that, that word picture because we both have something at stake. We both have authority too, though. And so we have to work together to get it done instead of at odds. So I'm hearing a lot of things that you have, have done just to, as your career has kind of grown, things that you've sort of added to your skill set, things you've done to sort of level up your career. And a lot of that has been with networking, um, with your lean coffees and some of those things and um, getting involved with the IIBA. But maybe just sort of talk to me your feelings about what things other BAs can do to sort of up-level their careers, 
sustain their careers over time, not give up on their careers when they're, um, say, feeling discouraged about particular organizations or projects and, and that kind of thing. Okay. I do have things to say about that. I appreciate LinkedIn considerably. I have a fantastic network on LinkedIn. And the only reason I do is because I work on gaining more network contacts and creating relationships with them. Uh, I work really hard to try to meet their needs. I ask them, is there anything I could do to help them? These are my strengths. These are my experiences. I have a little blurb that I send out to all my new contacts that says, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And this is what I offer you. And let me know if there's anything I can do. My hobby is to help people find jobs. And so if someone reaches out to me, I'll review their resume. I will coach them on anything I think they need. And I, I shoot straight from the hip. You know, if they, if they're having a problem getting a job, because I think that they need to work on their personal hygiene, I'll tell them that, um, it's not always particularly easy to do, but if that's what's keeping them from getting a job, that's what they need to know. Then I introduce them to my network of recruiters and, and associates who are hiring for that particular job. And sometimes they're not looking for the job they have skills for. They just don't know that that job that they have skills for even exists. Uh, very often people have project management skills, but they don't know anything about project management as a profession. They just know, I, I managed this thing, you know, this project, we got this done. That's wonderful. Have you ever looked into this? So I connect them to those people. Uh, I also have volunteered for different organizations such as Code for America. Code for America exists in most major cities. It is a not-for-profit. It's designed to help people uh, work for, create things for the city as well as local not-for-profits. But what I found out is that you get six or seven or eight or nine developers from different companies coming together, and a few of them will say, I want to work on that project. And so they come around a table, and they start learning from each other. And it's almost like I can physically see them growing. At my company, we use Angular. Oh, tell me about Angular. And then they show them their stuff. And, oh, that's so cool. We could use that for this. And 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 we use Drupal and, you know. But they learn from each other. And I made such strong connections with people who were enthusiastic about helping people. And they were there because they had skills they wanted to have useful. They learned something in college that they weren't using in their current job. Uh, they were new to town and they needed a job. They were looking for new employees and they were scouting these the places that good people might go. Uh, and then there's always hackathons and other organizations that they need help. So I would lean into those for, say, six months at a time and see what I could do to help them. And if I felt like I wasn't being effective or if it didn't fit with my schedule, I would move on to the next opportunity. But I always found ways that I could lean in and help and learn and grow. I, I think that training Yourself is always important, and podcasts are a great way to learn new things. Uh, they're free. They're right there. They're at your fingertips. I put a, a connection uh, post on LinkedIn a few days ago of what's your favorite podcasts and why. 
And some of my brilliant, smart friends said, oh, I love these six. And I'm thinking, you listen to six podcasts. That is so cool. But, you know, they listen to them on their way home from work or, you know, they don't take very long, but they give you a peek inside of somebody else's world and maybe a nugget of something that you didn't even know existed. I was recently given the opportunity to help with a automated testing class. And I'm going in it, I'm going to do the mentoring for the students, and I'm going to go into it initially as though I were a student so that I can see and document what their strengths and weaknesses are. Because in mentoring, you you know, they, they present, the, it's like an interview. You pretend to be somebody you're not, so you can get the interview for the job that you want, and then you get to the job and you say, I can't be who I am because they expect this other person that I was pretending to be. In this, I'm going to be able to say you are strategic, you are tenacious, you are you ask very clear questions. Find the things that I can give them to say, okay, you've got a good beginning. What can we do to get you over the finish line after you finish this training so that you can successfully get a job? But in doing so, I'm going to get to learn more about automated testing. So it's a win-win. Win-win. Yeah, Yeah. I I like that. Openness to uh, get in there and sort of give back to the community ends up um, being a win for you as as well. When I was volunteering for the IIBA here in Kansas City, I was the vice president of professional development and training for eight years. And because I was doing that, because people saw that I was willing to do that, I started getting offers of, would you come and teach for us in the evening? And that's how I started teaching. And I do love teaching, but I didn't understand how much I love teaching. I didn't know that creating curriculum for specific people or events was something that I was so good at. And that's what led me into writing for the Babok. And so I ended up writing most of the chapters for techniques, underlying competency, and the glossary. I'm just passionate about communicating clear ideas. That is fantastic. And it's given you, you know, that opportunity to um, grow your career in new and interesting ways, sustain your career so that you could kind of continue down the path. I think uh, so. Maybe as I'm thinking about that, what would you maybe say to folks who, you know, have been in an organization for a while, are feeling a little stuck? not quite content with where they are, but not yet willing to or ready to sort of um, take the take the leap, what would you maybe say to, to encourage some of those folks? Well, there's two situations that they may be in under that. Uh, if they're in a toxic job, they're being beaten down and they need to be aware of that. They don't need to think that that's normal. Uh, a job where you're fearful is not normal and you need to protect yourself from those situations. Um, If you're in a job that it's a good job, you just don't feel like you're making any advancement. Do a survey of your skills. Uh, How are you about public speaking? If that's not a strength for you, does it need to be? If it needs to be a strength for you, consider joining a Toastmasters group or Uh, volunteering at your church to, you know, read the announcements, just something little that's controlled that gives you the opportunity to develop that skill. Because 
Whenever I was in high school, I was afraid to raise my hand to talk because I was afraid for people to look at me. And I decided then I can do something about this. I don't want to be this way the rest of my life. And so I started those little events where I had to compete reading a piece of paper for poetry. And then I went into prose and then I went into debate. And I thought, you know what, this is, I could, this didn't kill me. I thought it was going to kill me, but it didn't. Seriously. The first time I did it, I, my knees were knocking. I was so scared. And I walked out the door and literally said, it didn't kill me. Look what else I can do. And I've overcome so much. And I'm sure that people that put themselves in the, in the position where they have the opportunity to overcome will be surprised at what they're able to accomplish. I'm not saying that it's always good and always fine and always perfect, but you'll grow from every single experience. There's a belief in design that says there are no failures. There's just new understanding. And I adore that. So do an audit of what your skills are, what your skills need to be, and what what's your gap analysis of how do you get to where you need to be? There are meetups all over Kansas City, if you're in Kansas City, for so many interesting things. There's SharePoint Saturday. There are There's BI groups. There are groups that are specific to different kinds of software. And I guarantee you can walk into any of those meetups without having a membership or a bit of knowledge about what they're talking about. And they will welcome you because they're excited people are interested in what they're interested in. Just say I'm new. I don't know very much about this. I'd like to understand more. And I just came to listen. You can sit in the back corner. They won't care. They'll probably encourage you to to join in. What do you think about that? And say, I don't have any background in that, but it does sound interesting. You know, give them a little encouragement, but you can learn so much. I did not know about a Raspberry Pi until I volunteered at KCDC. And I found out about a Raspberry Pi. And then the next year, whenever I was volunteering again, I was working on a little bit of marketing. And I sent it to Lee Brandt, who's the the guy that runs KCDC. And I forgot what it was called. And I called it a Blackberry Pi. And he very kindly and generously said, no, Thea, you're talking about a Raspberry Pi. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, it's just a Raspberry Pi. But I learned from every single volunteer organization that I, I go to. And every time I mentor somebody, I learn more about them and more about myself. So if somebody feels like they're stuck in their career, get a mentor, figure out what you need to do to fix your own skills, challenge your boundaries. If you have, if you have boundaries that have kept you stuck in a rut and do something that you think that up to now you've thought, I can't do that. Nobody would want to hear me do that. People all over Kansas City need volunteers to to do things, to read to children, to uh, work at churches, to lecture, to give speeches, to help out at events. One time, whenever I was working at KCDC, my job was to tell people where to go whenever they walked in the front door. And so when they walked in the front door, I was suddenly their tour guide. And I told them, down here to the left, you do, you're going to go down here and sign in. Behind me is the displays. To my right is the cafeteria. I just decided I was going to do it all the way because they're not going to even see me if I just stand there and talk quietly. I had the opportunity to perform in ways that I never thought I could. And, you know, I made some of them laugh. 
I made some of them cringe, but I gave all of them the information that they needed. That's awesome. Love that. You gave, and you gave each of them a memory. I'm sure. Especially whenever I was responsible for validating their parking tickets. <laughs> you, you parked straight in your, st- in your stall and you turned off the engine before you got out of the car. Congratulations. <laughs> that caused some of the left brains to go turn into right brains. Love it. Wrapping up now, sort of what is next for you? Um, I, I know you have a speaking career that you're hoping to do more of and uh, other teaching opportunities. So what do you see coming up in the next few years? Well, I do hope to do a lot more speaking. I plan on doing some more consulting and and training for companies and individuals as they need it. I kind of try to do whatever God brings to me. I just got the International Game Developers Association off the ground here in Kansas City. They didn't have a chapter and I had too many friends or associates who were independent game developers. So I wanted to get to bring them together. They are now independent and running their own chapter. The next thing I'm going to do is bring the International Requirements Engineering Board to North America. Uh, Some people have said that's going to compete with the IIBA. I don't think it will at all. It's a very narrowly focused group focused specifically on good requirements gathering, uh, the proper way to document, the proper way to communicate. And so we're just going to start a chapter here. My organization, VML, is uh, willing to sponsor it here in the Kansas City area. And so I've been in talks with the folks over in uh, Germany, and they are very excited to be able to get into North America because they've seen good value in what they do. And most of their training is free. That's even even better. I mean, that's incredible. Right. Free training, um, definitely something we should take them up on, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, I, I try to do a lot of free training because people are hungry to learn. Uh, there's, there's so many opportunities for free training in Kansas City. Incidentally, do you know about Launch Code? Launch Code, no. Launch Code is a awesome organization, and I think it's probably everywhere, but I know it's here in Kansas City, that trains people how to become developers. And it's free. And some of our very best developers here at VML came through the Launch Code program. And it's not easy. It requires homework and, and dedication, but they will place you in companies once you go through the program and, and successfully complete it. And it's not 100% completion. Uh, there's another organization that they're running a training for automated development. I'm sorry, automated testing, which, as you know, automated testing is is has a high demand and it's it would make people a career. Uh, that that particular one isn't free, but it's it's so inexpensive it should be called free. Um, and I'm going to help. That's the group that I'm going to help get trained and help them get placed. Terrific. I actually have somebody in mind for the launch code, so I'm going to look into that one. Great. But there's all kinds of opportunities in Kansas City to learn for free. And we can we can know something and then start learning the things around it, like BI or uh, 3D development or, oh, it's so exciting. Love that. Um, and I think that just really speaks to You know, we don't have to stay in one particular area in our career. A career can evolve as our interests evolve and we can 
go off in many directions. I agree. I agree. I think there's always something to learn. Well, and and uh, just really appreciative of you being here this evening. Thank you so much. Um, been a terrific conversation. So well, I appreciate it. How can people find you? Uh, LinkedIn. That is okay. the way I keep my my professional networking going. I try to be as helpful as I can, and I will connect you to whoever I can that I think could be of more help than me. But LinkedIn is my my avenue. Fantastic. Uh, LinkedIn is uh, is the way to go for sure. So and and they need to know how to spell my name. My last name is not normal. Neither is my first name, but nothing else about me is either. Well, that's that's awesome. And yes, so it's Thea T H E A Raisins R A S I N S. So that's correct. Look for her on LinkedIn, and uh, you'll be glad you did. So I, I'll try to make it worth your while. We want to thank Thea for being with us today. Uh, so appreciative of her and her and her comments and her encouragement. Um, if you liked what you heard today, or if anything in particular resonated with you, please drop me an email at Tracy, T-R-A-C-I-E at traceabilitypodcast.com or follow us on social media. You can find me on Facebook at Traceability Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you again soon.